In our scripture uh, reading today, we're going to go uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and be reading your hearing verses 3 through 4, uh, chapter 3, verse 4. As I was preparing for this week's message, earlier in the week, I uh, thought that uh, we would go a slightly different direction, but as we... as uh, we honed in and approached this, mor- uh, this morning's message. I felt redirected to maybe uh, back up a little bit from what I was going to speak on. When I mean back up, I don't mean back away from as much as I mean move back in Scripture. Not that what we were going to talk about is not necessarily apropos. But I thought we would go to verse, this, uh, this uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. The Corinthian church was kind of a troubled church and had a lot of uh, challenges that were going on, not, not dissimilar to really any, any church. Um, there's the old uh, joke about a guy that was living on, a, on an island and, and uh, he was, somebody showed up and he took him on the tour and he says, uh, he took him to a church building and he showed him around and and they were going through it, and, he, and the person that was, he was giving the tour to her says, well, what about that church over there? And he says, oh, that's the, that's the church I used to attend. He's been on the island by himself, but he must have got disgruntled with that church and moved on to the, the next one. And you know, that's kind of the way sometimes it is in churches. They, things happen, and people get uh, frustrated, and people get concerned, but, and there's strife, and there's challenges, and disagreements, and It's just its own thing. And Paul's trying to deal with some of this in this, in this letter. And a church, just like a family, have people at all different stages. And sometimes you have to tell people, hey, you need to start acting your age, so to speak. You need to mature a little bit. So, as we look at this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, if we continue on, we would talk about some other things that would, you would take and you would uh, approach with a church that has, are in the place of the Corinthians, where Paul's kind of addressing the entire congregation, and the whole congregation is, having, is in a flurry. 
I don't know that I feel that we need to do that here, that we have a congregation in massive disarray. I have preached in a congregation with massive disarray, but that's not what I'm seeing here. But we can take some lessons and some notes, though, as Paul talks about maybe what they should be as individuals, because as individuals we make up the whole. If there's no individual that it has been any issues, then there's no issues in the whole body. But if they're having issues, then it, it affects the body. But also here we're talking about this natural progression of maturity as a Christian. And so we look at some of these definitions, and this helps us in our general understanding. And some of this will be new to some, a review to others, and maybe just a deepening understanding to fill others. So we go back to chapter 2, verse 14. Let me get to the right place. Sorry about that. Chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man. And it continues, For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges things yet to be, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So we see these natural man versus someone that is spiritual. Natural versus spiritual. And the natural man you would think of is someone that is just like they were born. They are without Christ. The Holy Spirit's not involved in their life except through maybe drawing them unto God, but there's no spirituality in them. They're just natural. We might call them unsaved. Just natural. But then there's those that are spiritual. He speaks of in 2.15. But then we go on to this third concept. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual. but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So he's equating carnal with whatever carnal means to babes in Christ. So he's saying there's natural, then there's spiritual, but I can't talk to you as spiritual, but I'm going to talk to you as babes in Christ. But you're not Natural. So you get the concept, natural, babes in Christ, spiritual. So there's this, I'm not saved, I'm immature, saved, and at some point there is being mature, being spiritual, whatever that might be. And so we get a concept of this thing called, for you are still carnal, verse 3. Now some of your Bibles might use the word, fleshly, or it might use the word worldly. The word actually from in, in the, the Greek goes back, it's, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but 
sarkinos, it's fleshly, of flesh. And so through time, and remember we have some of the, this, uh, the King James is in the Old English, and then as things come through and Latin was applied in some of the translations, we pick up this term carnal. It's this fleshly nature. For some of you are still carnal, fleshly natures. And in some translation, they apply the world, word worldly. Worldly. So, verse 3, For you are still carnal, fleshly, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You're acting like someone that's in their natural state. You are a Christian, but you're acting like a non-Christian. If there's these strivings and contentions, what usually causes the striving and the contentions? It's that I want my way. I want it my way. There's not humility. There's not any of that. It's I want it my way, and if I want it my way, and you want it your way, and then someplace over here is God's way. So there's person, one person's way, the second person's way, and then there's God's way. Now, if the third person is following God's way, that's going to be in conflict with person one and two. So then we get this, we get this challenge. You probably saw my eyes go crazy because our, our sound system decided it's, it, was, it was, must have been AI or something, turned it up automatically. But because uh, our sound guy looked at me like, what? I didn't do it. I didn't do it either. The sound system wasn't godly. But anyway, the, uh, you get this concept, we are born, and we talk about born in sin, and you're familiar with those things, and some of you, this is maybe refresher, that kids naturally do kid things, right? It's mine. It's always funny, the kid has their, you might see videos or reels or whatever they might call them, you know, the kid puts their hand in, a, in the cake, and they got icing on their face and cake in their hand. Did you put your hand in the cake? No. Or no. So they just naturally do that. They play together and everything's mine. And they'll take from somebody else. Or So we're talking about those babes in Christ. Babes in Christ. Because... There is this fleshly nature, this sin nature that we're born in. This, the old terms they would say, bent to sinnings. But then there is this, those who are spiritual. So he contrasts the spiritual with those that are 
envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal? And if you think about the conversations we had about love, agape love, how we relate to other people, how we relate to God. It gives us insights. Now you will find that in Protestant churches, there may be others, but there's a couple key theological followings. There's the Wesleyan Arminians, and there's the Calvinists. Now, I'm not going to so much go into the depths of the differences between the two, but we are Wesleyan Arminian, so you're rarely going to find me quoting from Calvin, except for today. It's interesting that Wesley and Arminian, Wesley, you've heard of John and Charles Wesley maybe, Charles did the hymns and things, and John was the preacher, but it's interesting that Calvin, which there's uh, denominations that would follow along different tenets of Calvin, his first name was also John. So you have John Wesley and John Calvin. It's very interesting because you would not think this if you... um, maybe are a Wesleyan Arminian, and that's a system of doctrine and sets of beliefs, versus a Calvinist, whatever that might be. But these are people that have commentaries and approached Scripture and interpreted them, and other people have agreed with them. But Calvin, in Corinthians 3.3, says in his commentary, because remember, let me, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and among divisions among you, you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? To Calvin's, in his part of his section over this, uh, his commentary over this says, hence, if we would make proficiency of the Lord's school, we must first of all renounce our own judgment and our own will. Renounce our own judgment and our own will. Very Wesleyan Arminians. This concept of renouncing, surrendering our own judgment, our own will. So, the natural man, an unsaved person, goes about and does things as they do. They have that sin nature. Some circles would say carnal nature, depending on the translation. Some would say fleshly. It's that natural state, the way we are born. We're born in sin, and all tenets will talk about that concept of being born in sin. But then there is something when we are babes in Christ... Don't behave like we ought to. He says we behave like mere men, meaning we are acting like the unsaved. Because you're still having these jealousies, these strifes, these contentions, and you should be maturing past those things. You know, we talked in the, in the garden Eve wanted to be like God. 
and have that knowledge. And we think of Satan when he fell, he elevated himself. And so it's that kind of tendency that we need to have dealt with. But there is something in this world that is natural. These phases were natural unsaved, and there are this concept of being a Christian, but immature, and then there's something, a place where we are established as mature Christians. There are phrases and theological words I could place on those, but that might distract your thought. Some might hear and be somewhat defensive and say, oh no, that's not, that's not the way I believe, or I heard those words, and they're like, but I believe this other way, but, and some of those ways you might be drawn to would be the way of those that might follow Calvin's teachings. But Calvin even says that there's this need to, if we want to take full proficiency of, of God's um, school, as it were, renouncing our wisdom and renouncing our will. And so that becomes the question. If dealing with this concept of carnality or this fleshliness, this tendency to sin is something that should be dealt with, We have to think about this concept if we are resigning our will. And there is scripture and we might have it just in a little bit. And we kind of surrender ourselves to God. What does that feel like? You know, if we think about the concept of we're living in a house. And you can think about your own house, or you can think of a diagram of a house, or maybe you, it's an apartment, and you'll say things like, I've got a, for a house, you might say, I've got uh, three bedrooms and one and a half bath, or I've got a kitchen, um, or I've got uh, two bedrooms and, you know, a pantry, and a, you know, you start making these rooms, and each of your houses or your apartments have these different rooms, but if you think of this room and you say, okay, here I am and I'm, I'm, I'm here and you know, I want Jesus in my heart and I have Jesus in my heart and we welcome Jesus into our heart. And you might recall we've talked about some of those kinds of things. It's, you know, when, when guests come. You know, initially the first time, we've had guests at our house. We've had parties at our house, and, you know, some of you have come to the church party, and uh, you notice we didn't give you a tour of the house. We gave you a tour of the places that we were okay with you being. But there was those other rooms that, you know, that's where you put all the stuff that needs cleaned, right? Maybe it's, I won't say it was filthy, because that gives a bad connotation, but it might be not the cleanest, or... It's a little bit, you know, it's the place where you grab the stuff, you open the door and you throw it in and then you, right? 
And so we, we come and, and we do those things. So the question becomes then when Jesus comes into your heart and Jesus is in your heart, do you have any parts of your heart house that you don't let God go? Because you don't want him to see that part of you. It's the part of you that you don't want necessarily anybody to know is there. I mean, we all have things that we're a little bit embarrassed about and we don't tell everybody about, and that's, that's appropriate. But are there places that you really even keep God out altogether? Now, there might be parts in our heart, in our life, that God needs to work on, and He's working on them. It's not finished yet. But is He even allowed to work on that part? I mean, have you surrendered that part to Him? You know, in transitional activity, you know, when we're making life-changing and life-changing decisions, we need to be obedient to God. And we need to surrender those different aspects to our, our life. As, as you know, we, a couple of us, go over to an auction once a month. So on the way to the auction, yesterday was the once a month I went. I remember praying that the Lord would grant me wisdom. Because, man, when something's gone and it's the auction, you know, you might jump on it quick. And then you end up spending money, bringing something home. So you pray about it ahead of time. Of course, with the big things, I tend to call my wife just to make sure that I'm not out of bounds, too. But the question is, is when you go buy a car, buy a house, change a job, date, Parts of those are you surrender to God's will on. Your conversation, your place of work. You know, if God told you to stop working someplace, would you? If God told you, I know it's rough, but you've got to stay there, would you? So the question becomes, would, if God asked you to witness to someone, would you? God asks you, hey, I want you to be a missionary, would you? God wants you to pay your tithe, would you? The question is, okay, I've got this house, and i got this part of the house open, and that part of the house open, and this one's open, and this one's open, and I've got him into this other room, but at some point we need to let him have So then, as Calvin says, if you would make proficiency of the Lord's school, I think he basically means take full advantage of what God's trying to teach you. But we would say, too, if you want to really 
be enabled from God to know what His will is. It's back to that Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and put that up, Steve. Thank you. And it says in verse 1 that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. We want to present that fleshly part of us. This is not a direct, when it says body here, it means the flesh. But I think it's interesting that it's also this fleshly part of us. A living sacrifice. We present that to God. And as we come into the Easter season or are really in it, it's concept of crucify. Paul says, I, I'm crucified with Christ. So, we start to dub this together. We think of this concept, I need forgiveness of my sins. I need to be a babe in Christ. But to keep moving forward, I need to present all of me a living sacrifice. Not just the parts that I'm okay with him having, but all. You know, people like to wear the wristband, what would Jesus do to remind them? But I don't know that you're empowered to do the things that Jesus would have you do or to even understand what it is he's asking you to do unless you're moving out of or moved out of the babe in Christ phase. Let's go back to, on our screen if we could, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll do 15 and 16. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has, the, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We'll continue to verse 1 of chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I can't give you the meat, Paul's saying. You've got to be in a place that you can learn it. You have to be in a place that you have kind of surrendered it all up. I think it was Jim Carrey in the movie. He probably didn't know what he was doing. We talked, mentioned this a little bit on Wednesday night. There's a part in the movie that he does where he's, I think it's God Almighty or something, some movie like that, and he gets partway through the movie and it's raining and he's frustrated trying to take care of everything. He finally, in the rain, goes to his knees, puts his arms up, and he says, okay, God, I give up. Chuck Milhoff used to have a song that had to do when I, based on, I gave the brush back to Jesus. That I had messed up this drawing and I let now God brush in the picture of my life. We can think of the analogies where he is the potter and I am the clay. And he molds us, right? But when we've, have you ever worked with pottery? Even in school? 
what do they do? They take it and they smush it together and they pound it to get the air out of it. And what happens when it's on the potter wheel and things are starting to get out of line? They fold it in, start it over, and make something fresh out of it. If he's the potter and we're the clay, that means we need to let him reform it. But see, if we don't allow him to have the brush in that picture of our life, and we're trying to draw our own picture, it's not going to look very good. It's not going to work very good. The colors are going to mess and fade. And you might say, well, I'm trying to paint my picture the way God would have it to be. But unless you're letting God have control, how do you know what that is? Because you're fighting and you don't really want to hear what he's trying to tell you because you still want that control. So hopefully many of you are on this path that you've surrendered, whatever you want to call it, your life to God. Some would call it entire sanctification. Some would call it other things. But whatever you want to call it, it's a place where I've, I've been giving up parts of my heart house, but I haven't given it all up. That you give it all up. And you move to a place of now, if you really want to learn, as Calvin says, now you start learning because you can start hearing better. You know, a student goes in and they're resistant of the teacher can state in the class all they want and they might be able to answer a bunch of the questions on the test, but they haven't gained understanding. It's a rote knowledge, but they haven't gained understanding. Do you really want to deep with God and be empowered to reach other people? Surrender. Surrender. Well, I pray that those that are hearing are at least, but they might not be. You first have to have your sins forgiven, that you can make heaven your home. But if you want to, as God calls us unto holiness, to become spiritual, then you need to come to a place of surrender and let God have it all. And then... Then enables you for service, enables you for learning, because you're willing to hear. So where are you? Natural, saved in Christ. Scripture says, when at times you should be teachers, I have need to teach you some of someone teaching you. Again, the first fruits. You should be there by now, but you're dragging your feet. And if you have moved to the place of surrender, hold on. Leave it in God's hands. 12, Romans 12.1 talks about a living sacrifice. You know, we can draw back and take things back over. And if you think taking things back over, you need them to give them back to God. So where are you today? Let's be standing together.
Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, familiar to some, maybe unfamiliar to others, or maybe today, Lord, you opened their hearts that they're ready to hear it. I pray to Lord that you'd grant us wisdom in these next few moments. That those listening would be obedient. Not to put aside that which you're calling them to do. Not again make, trying to make your will subservient to their will. Not saying, not now Lord, I'll do it later. Not now Lord, I'll do it in a couple years. Not you, now Lord, it's not on my five year plan. They would just accept it. Accept your lordship. Grant us your direction, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask you to bow your